This is My Faith Walking Journey Podcast with Jim Harrington, Episode 4, A Conversation with Nate Pyle. For over 25 years, Jim has been serving the church in Houston, Texas by working to mobilize individuals and congregations into collaborative efforts that are designed to serve the common good. In this podcast series, Jim is talking to community leaders in Houston and across the country who are working to build more loving communities as a systemic solution to the big challenges that our communities face today. You can find the show notes for this podcast and for any other podcast in this series on Jim's blog, jimtharrington.com. Now, let's get into this week's conversation. So good morning, Nate. My uh, friend Nate Pyle is on the call today, um, and I'm really glad to welcome him to this call. Uh, These calls are about um, my own sense that um, our country, our cities, our communities face some of the biggest challenges that we've ever faced. And as I try to be a part of the solution to those big challenges, I believe that uh, forming uh, really authentic, loving communities in neighborhoods and communities and cities across the country is one of the most powerful, positive responses that could be made uh, to the challenges that we face. I've known Nate for a while. I'm going to let him introduce himself. But he's one of the guys who, in my estimation, is really contributing significantly to the building of loving communities. So, Nate, welcome. Uh, Would you take a minute and just tell us who you are? Yeah, thanks, Jim. It's uh, it's good to be with you here. Um, yeah, my name is Nate Pyle. I am a pastor of Christ Community, or the pastor of Christ Community Church here in Fishers, Indiana. And for those who don't know, Fishers is a <laughs> suburb of Indianapolis. It's probably just easier to say that. Uh, I have been a part of the faith walking community now for four or five years. Um, am ordained in the Reformed Church of America. I am married and have a five year old son. Uh, but then also uh, part of part of what I also do and part of my ministry is writing, and so I have a blog at natepile.com. And then my first book, Man Enough, How Jesus Redefines Manhood, uh, is being released here, uh, well, it's September 29, which today happens to be a week from today. So that's kind of exciting as <laughs> Congratulations well. Congratulations on that. I know you're pretty excited. I am. It's uh, it's been a wild ride, and uh, to let to let it out into the world to do whatever it's going to do is is both very exciting and a little anxiety producing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I know that you're uh, in the same conversation that I'm in around uh, how do you build loving communities. You're doing that through your congregation and in your neighborhood. Your mm-hmm. your your writing is a, a national writing audience. Um, yeah, what would you say about uh, the challenges of building loving communities? Uh, when you think about that in Fishers, uh, yeah. what, what are the big challenges that you face? Yeah, the biggest, well, well there's, uh, there's a lot of challenges. Um, one is just making it a priority and being very intentional about it. In, I think this is true for everyone. Our lives fill up very, very quickly. And community, while we talk about valuing it, we really don't value it as much with our behaviors, with our actions, what we put on our calendars. And uh, it uh, it's something that can slip off the map very, very quickly. And so for me, it just it, for my biggest challenge is continuing to make it a priority. In fact, we had our community group over uh, Sunday afternoon, and we were talking about why we value the community and what we were hoping for the next year to, to accomplish and what it means to us. And, and I was very honest with our group. I just said, for me, 
one of the things that I love about this group is it forces me to put on my calendar mm-hmm. time with community, time where I'm going to be authentic, that I am going to actually value this thing that I say is important by practicing it. Yeah, so. well, that stirs up in me. I'm reading Nate uh, Foster's book um, on uh, entitled Ordinary Saint, and uh, he's talking in his book about... Um, the 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 essential priority of doing the work of spiritual formation that mm. when we fill our calendars from morning to night with activity and noise that what we neglect is the formation of our own spirit of our own soul mm-hmm. our own inner life uh and i like you am a part of a community group uh that grounds me in that um mm-hmm. where i can where i can think you know as a as a blogger or a writer or uh, a, a pastor who stands up in front of two or three hundred, four hundred people, that I'm this loving, generous, kind person. It's when I get face to face with the same eight or ten or twelve people on a weekly basis, um, and they're coming to my house, and the thirty minutes before they come, I'm thinking, I don't want these people in my house tonight. <laughs> and, and totally. Then I, and I have to confront that, you know, or there's somebody in the group who dominates the group, and I find myself cutting them off or wanting to cut them out. And, and, and again, I'm confronted with myself, that small group uh, of consistent ongoing relationships uh, become one of the big sources for me of being able to see myself uh, that I don't have to, that it doesn't happen when I preach, that doesn't right. happen when I write, that doesn't right. happen when I speak at, you know, it happens in that, in, in that, that face-to-face relationship. I had a similar type thing just happen in the last couple of weeks where I began to see myself in a way uh, that I haven't seen myself in the past. And it's not something that happened in community, but it's what happened outside of community. Um, I'm very task-oriented, very disciplined, and uh, and kind of a type A personality. And so, and I'm also discovering that I'm an introvert. Uh, had, I've, I've always thought of myself as an extrovert, but in the last couple of years, I've realized I really am an introvert. And so it's easy for me to make my task list, lock myself away in my office, uh, do everything I need to do, send the emails I need to send, write the sermons, write the blog posts, work on whatever project's next, and not talk to anyone. And I looked at my calendar over the last couple of weeks and saw how little community I had. Like I had our community group, but there are other relationships that I had been failing to nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to do, uh, I had to go to my uh, elder board at church and say, what can take I take off my plate so that I can focus on these relationships and put these in my life and make these a priority. And uh, that was humbling. It was hard. Um, it was actually really nerve wracking me for, for me to do that. Um, but I saw that left to my own device, I left to my own devices. I'll just back away from relationships that that are really important. Well, and it does seem to me that uh, so I'm reminded that Jesus, in his summarizing summarizing of all the laws and the prophets, says, "Love God, love one another as you love yourself." Uh, and uh, if we're going to produce loving communities, that that's not a task. It's yeah. not. It's not a, a set of. Um, of, of things that I accomplished during the day. It is about being present with God, being present with yourself, being present mm-hmm. with other people. Um, and to go back to the community group for just a minute, the more I get aware of, you know, that 30 minutes before the meeting, I'm really resisting people being in my house. 
the more I let that in, the more I can then begin to see how that shows up in other relationships mm -hmm. where I show up to get a task done and really I'm not very present to the person that I am doing the task with. It's let's get the task done so that I can move on to the next thing mm -hmm. because I've got a long list of things to do. Um, and, um, yeah, and so all of that, I think, is um, is in, in the conversation. I, I, I guess another way that I would say that is the conversation about being in community really is a conversation about learning how to love. Mm -hmm. uh, and that just my little community group becomes a microcosm, a practice field. And as I really take that on, then it, it enlarges my awareness of how I'm showing up with you when I mm -hmm. see you or with people that I'm working on a task with. Uh, and so for me, that's a good segue because you have written uh, a new book uh, called Man mm -hmm. Enough. Uh, as you said at the beginning of the of the podcast, uh, it's being released next week. Actually, I think it's been released in some places. I think I've seen it. And didn't I see you on Facebook signing some books? <laughs> yeah, my, uh, my publisher had a booth at the uh, MOPS, the big national MOPS conference, Mothers of Preschoolers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's downtown Indianapolis. And so they had a booth down there and they I put see. it up for sale. So yeah. I had it down there. Uh, and I signed some copies. Great. Uh, so yeah, it'll start releasing here any day in various places. Well, I'm really excited about the book. I, as you know, I read a pre-publication copy and, and offered an endorsement for it. But let me ask you two questions. Um, for, first of all, just tell us kind of in an overview fashion what the book's about. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and, and you may do this simultaneously, or this, or this may be two separate questions. Uh, how does this book, if somebody were to read the book, uh, how would it help them in the conversation about uh, learning to be more loving and learning to participate in building more learn more loving communities? Yeah, I think I can do that in 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 one okay all at one time. Great. Um, so really, the 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 premise of the book is challenging this idea that exists out there, and it's an unspoken idea, but I think it's one that most men will relate to, and it's the idea of feeling like you have to prove yourself as a man. Uh, that in our culture, and in most cultures, but particularly in our culture, you aren't just granted the status of being a man, but you have to prove that you are a man, whether that's, you know, by, uh, well, well, there's all different things, you know, by being really successful in the marketplace, by going hiking and doing really wild things, by being a really good athlete, I mean, by being a family man, whatever it is, that there's these ways in which we have to prove ourselves as men, and so my challenge is that that's pretty antithetical to the gospel where you don't have to prove yourself at all, but that long before you prove yourself, uh, God deems you worthy uh, to be a, an adopted son, adopted daughter. Um, and so one of the things that happens when you have to constantly prove yourself is that you are in competition with those around you um, because you're trying to prove yourself as more of a man or at least as good of a man as the person next to you. And uh, I think as and, men... And I just want to clarify that you're having to prove yourself and you're having to prove yourself against a stereotype yep. okay, very, uh, that, right. that is a cultural stereotype that's not biblical. Right, exactly. Uh, there's a guy in the, and he came up with this in the 60s, and I won't get the whole definition, but he kind of says, you know, for the American man, the, the ideal is a white, married, Protestant, college educated, you know, has two kids, the whole time. He just goes on to this list. And I read that, and it's from the 60s. I was like, that's still pretty much the... <laughs> the stereotype, the ideal that we're all trying to measure up to. Um, 
So, so yeah, you know, as we try to measure up against that, we find ourselves in competition with the guy next to us because he may be better than us. He may be more of a man to a, than us or so perceived by others. And so we're constantly competing with one another. And, and to if you're competing with people, you can't be in a, a real loving relationship where you care for them and want what's best for them, are going to be fully present to their needs uh, because if you're in competition with them, you're going to try, how can I use you? How can I better you? How can I one-up you? All of these types of things begin to enter into the space. And so if we can see ourselves as, you know, that that God sees us as worthy, as sons, as daughters, and we can rest in that identity, then that frees us up to just be fully present. I don't have to compete with you. I don't have to try to better you or anything like that. Well, the other thing that comes up for me in that conversation is uh, if I'm on the losing end of that competition, then yeah. then the shame that is in the, the, your own experience, what I, what I know about myself, what I think I know about people in general, is if in the in in a in a group of people where we are uh, in community with one another, if I'm carrying a lot around a lot of shame with me because I don't measure up to this guy or that guy, then that thwarts my capacity to to love. I mean, it starts with loving myself, and if I'm coming yep. up with all that shame that I can't love myself. How in the world am I going to be able to love others? Exactly. Exactly. So you, and, and, you you tell some really powerful stories. I mean, one of the things I love about the book is how, um, like, risky and authentic you are in telling some of your most painful stories. Uh, I wouldn't ask yeah, you to that, do this, except you've already put it out there in the book. I wonder, <laughs> I wonder if you tell one of those stories that uh, that we find in the book. Yeah. Um, the, one of the stories that really shaped you as you dealt with all this. Yeah, probably the, uh, if we go the story that shapes me the most is is the one that's most difficult. In fact, in fact, I say in the book that I almost didn't put it in there just yeah. because it's so uncomfortable for me. But when I was in seventh grade, um, for whatever reason, I became the kid that was going to be picked on. Um, and uh, I, I remember it very distinctly. I was in English class. We had a portable. It was a portable all the way to the east. I mean, I can remember it was all the way to the east outside in the back of the school. There were a bunch of them. It was the east farthest one. I was sitting in the second row uh, from the end and the, uh, near the front. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, we both got done with whatever we were doing in the English class. And, uh, and so we're both, we're both done in that English class. And we are sitting there and we're talking. And, uh, um, and all of a sudden, we start calling each other names for whatever reason. I don't even remember why we were calling each other names. We started calling each other names. Because that's what seventh grade boys do. Because <laughs> that's what seventh grade boys do, right? And he, and he all of a sudden just looked at me, and he called me, and he said, you're the Pillsbury Doughboy. Hmm. And we kind of chuckled about it there. But that was the name that it, it just everybody picked up on. It. Everybody around started laughing about it. Everybody started using it. You know, it got talked about at lunchroom, and within a day, that became my name. And that was the name for the rest of middle school. I was the Pillsbury Doughboy. Wow. Uh, and uh, I mean, I can remember even in ninth grade showing up. It was near. It was the first week of school, I believe. And I walked up to a group of guys, and somebody said, "Hey, look, Nate lost all his baby fat." Um, he's no longer the Pillsbury Doughboy, hmm. and uh, 
Yeah. So that's just, that's just shaped. So I, you know, I have these body image things. I got to have the right look. It's shaped, you know, I've got to constantly prove myself that I'm, I got to prove to others that I'm not the Pillsbury Doughboy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, exercising, working out, um, any ways that I can better somebody else to show, Hey, being a Pillsbury Doughboy, I can still beat you. I can still be, I'm smarter than you. I can, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, it really, uh, has messed with me even to this day where sometimes, you know, I look in the mirror and I like, I see the Pillsbury Doughboy. I better get to the gym. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. That's uh, that's so powerful. And and you know, any any man or woman listening has stories like that. Your your book really touched me in some deep places as I uh, read through it. You you know these stories, but uh, uh, where you were the Pillsbury Doughboy, I was a frail, thin little uh, kid. And when I married Betty at 19 years of age, I weighed 119 pounds and, mm. and, uh, grew up in a deep, deep South community where, you know, all the sports and all of the hunting and all of that stuff was how you got defined as a man. And there was just some stuff I couldn't do, not because right. I didn't want to, or because I wasn't, uh, you know, because I just didn't have the physical capacity to do that. And in that culture, there was a, a lot of both explicit and implicit shame, around mm -hmm. not being able to do those things that shaped me for a long time growing up into my adult years. I think I was about 38 years old when I was in a, a, a community group with uh, five other pastors and one of the guys uh, first named what happened to me as emasculation. Uh, and it was like, you know, like somebody shone a light into a dark tunnel in my inner life uh, that began to open up some stuff. And what I love about your book is that at that time, I didn't have a lot of people around me who were authentically talking about their experience of, of growing up in this culture, of what it means to be a man, of, 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 the, of all the competition and challenges that you're talking about. I, I, I'm certain that if I had had your book, you know, when I was your age, it would have been really valuable to me um, because it just opens up all of the conversation that needs to be had for healing to come and for uh, the kinds of conversations that men need to be having with each other to help uh, um, uh, uh, develop loving communities where from a wide variety of stereotypes uh, that you, you come and you have worth and you have value and you have something to contribute. Yeah, and, and even... You know, it's been – the whole book came out of my own experience of not wrestling with my masculinity. That right, was kind of right. the surprising thing that came out of this. For me, it was wrestling with not feeling like I was known. That's the very first place that this all mm. started for me was just feeling extremely lonely and not known. And what I've been able to look back and see is, is you know, when the Pillsbury Doughboy uh, was named – one of the other things that I learned was it was not okay to be weak. I didn't want to give anybody reason to believe that mm -hmm. I actually was like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And so all my weaknesses, uh, it just covered them up. You know, I wasn't going to be vulnerable. You couldn't poke me in the stomach and make me giggle. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like I am going to, to be, have this tough, I have it all together. Uh, I'm a confident guy. That was going to be the exterior. That was going to be the persona that I put out there. Um, and, and all that did was that, uh, walled me off from having real relationships where I was known. Yeah, you write real clearly in the book about how lonely that made you. How lo mm -hmm. loneliness you you named that as a as a in in some of your faith walking journey. You you named that the byproduct of that way of living uh, walled you off and produced this sense of loneliness where you 
uh, where you weren't known. And, and by naming that gave you access then to, um, uh, to, to finding some healing and all that. Yeah, exactly. And so part of my hope is, is to give men the freedom to be able to name what it is for them, you know, whether it's the, you know, their Pillsbury Doughboy story, you know, what, and and to give them permission to be weak, you know, Mm -hmm. and and then when you can be weak and you can be vulnerable and you can share that, that's when you're going to find the authentic relationships and that's when you're going to develop real community where transformation begins to happen, where you feel, where people feel loved, both you feeling loved and being able to love others and, uh, and, and you know, like what you say, that that's where changing the world really begins. Yeah, right? well, so I want to say that just one more way. Uh, one of the things you do in your book, um, for all of us, I think, who, uh, are, who are caught, trapped, engaged in that competition for, you know, uh, the, the stereotype of what it means to be masculine, uh, when we tell the truth about that, when we talk about our emasculation or we talk about the power of being called the Pillsbury Doughboy, that really in the stereotype, that's perceived as weakness. Mm-hmm. But really what you say and, and, and what you say that Jesus says is that that kind of vulnerability is a, a powerful expression of strength Yeah, uh, that redefines some of that stereotype for us. Right. Yeah, yeah it, it wasn't weakness that sent Christ to the cross right. or kept him on the cross. It was actually strength. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited that the book is uh, coming out. I've, uh, as you know, been posting it on my Facebook page and um, yeah. I intend to buy some copies to give away. And uh, I'm really excited for you. And I'm really grateful for the contribution, Nate, that this is going to make to the uh, what I see as a really uh, significant uh, challenges that we're facing in communities all across the country. So I hope people will buy the book and read the book. It's not just a book for men, by the way. It's also a book for women. Uh, mm-hmm. And you want to say you want you said that several places in the book. You want to say a word about that before we before we get off the call? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I really would. In fact, I actually had a conversation with somebody today who uh, who also got an early release copy, and uh, they were surprised at how it was a it was a female, and she was surprised by how much it. She connected with the whole idea, even though it's a men's book. Uh, and so for me, you know, the book is really, it, it, yes, it's directed at men, but the book is really becoming, a, you know, it's about being, being fully human as human. Jesus was mm-hmm. being, it was fully human. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's something that both men and women are called into. And I think that in our, in, in the church, in, in the world, in, in America, we focus a lot on what makes men and women different. But for us as Christians who are in Christ, what actually, there's less that separates us. You know, like we, there's men and women, but we're called to one image. We're called to both men and women embody the fruits of the spirit. Right. We're both called. You know, so, yes, it's it's kind of under the umbrella of masculinity, but it is really a book about being fully human, human as Jesus was. So, so tell us one more time the full title of the book. Man Enough, How Jesus Redefines Manhood. Yep. Great. It'll be on the shelves next week, and uh, I encourage people to find a copy of it and read and share it with people. Thanks, Nate, for taking the time today. I appreciate who you are and the really significant contribution that you make. NatePyle.com is the is the blog. It's one of my favorite blogs that I read every time that Nate posts, and uh, so I hope you'll check that out as well. Thanks, Nate. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. Thank you for listening to this conversation on Building Loving Communities. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd appreciate if you would share it with your community. You can find more information out about Nate Pyle, his blog, or his book in the show notes found on Jim's blog, jimtherrington.com. 
I hope you join Jim for his next conversation on building loving communities.